Hi there, I'm Al. Welcome back to the Lore Research Lab. And if you're new here, welcome to the Lore Research Lab, where I ramble about Nintendo video games. So this is another extra and another one of those, you could say, Tears of the Kingdom theory takeoff points where I'm just going to be throwing around some ideas or stuff that I've experienced in the game. And hopefully it'll be set up for something later. Um, but uh how do i put it so obviously there's going to be a lot of spoilers for today and it's mostly going to be focused on some story elements um and i'm going to keep the discussion for today confined to um breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom because i tried to do a version of this where i talked about other games and i found i found that that just got really messy and there's a bit too much going on that i think it'd be hard to follow so um i'm gonna break this like episode up into a couple parts where uh basically um i will talk about the breath of the wild precedent first and then um uh talk about tears of the kingdom so um this is the official spoiler warning uh point in the episode um, so I would click off now if you don't want to be spoiled on some story stuff from Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, play the game, experience it yourself. I definitely encourage that. Um, but the topic for today is Zelda in The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And it's about contextualizing her role and why I feel like Tears of the Kingdom is doing a lot of justice to her character, both in terms of pure characterization and from a lore standpoint and things like that. So it's time to get into the discussion. So to start us off, let's talk Breath of the Wild again. It is, it is. I wouldn't say it's impossible to talk about Tears of the Kingdom without talking about Breath of the Wild, but I find it very difficult in my case because I feel like there's so much going on um, in Breath of the Wild's background that it lends itself quite well as a setup to Tears of the Kingdom. So it feels a bit strange for me personally to talk about Tears of the Kingdom Zelda without talking about Breath of the Wild Zelda. So let's recap what we know about Breath of the Wild Zelda first. So uh, as we learn through the Captured Memories quest in uh, Breath of the Wild, Zelda, uh, and it, these are all memories of a hundred years prior, um, we learn that Link has been assigned as Zelda's knight. She doesn't like that. She makes it very clear that she doesn't really welcome Link's presence in her life. And we also learn a bunch of things about her. She only has her dad. That's her only family left. She has one of the champions, Urbosa, as a mother figure. Um, she's quite the scientist. She's a little bit of a nerd. She's got a real... Um, brain and knack for learning and um, things that are not related to destiny and harnessing the goddess powers. But other background that's not explicitly described in the Captured Memories quest is the fact that Zelda lost her mother at a relatively young age and it was at a very critical time in her life because she hit the age where princesses in Hyrule typically learn about harnessing the powers of the goddess that every woman of the royal lineage often inherits. So her mother before her had these powers and it would be time for her to learn how to use those powers that is within her, but she's to harness it, she's to awaken it. It's dormant right now. Um, unfortunately, that task of instruction always fell on the queens and in Zelda's case, her mother was not around for that to happen. So Zelda kind of just had to rely on whatever precedence already occurred to teach herself how to harness the goddess powers, but that was a bit of a tough going. And her overbearing father, uh, King Rome, who wasn't necessarily making that, um, he wasn't quelling any of her inadequacies in the sense that he just kind of fed into her insecurities and kept pushing her to do something she didn't feel comfortable doing that part of the way that it's framed story-wise in Breath of the Wild is that maybe if King Rome held off a little bit, Zelda might have actually been more open to the idea of trying to be invested in harnessing her powers because Zelda was very well aware of like the importance of harnessing her powers, but it's that pressure, that demand to do something that she wasn't ready to do, to be uh, frank, um, that kind of, that led to this kind of rift between her and her father. But the the reason why her dad was being the way that he was, King Rome, is because it had come to everyone's knowledge that the Great Calamity was soon to happen again. The Great Calamity was an event that was actually avoided um, 10,000 years ago in the continuity of Breath of the Wild, where uh, uh, 
monstrous entity known as Calamity Ganon fell upon Hyrule and threatened the land. So the hero, the princess with the, or reincarnated goddess, the, the princess with the goddess's powers, the two of them and four champions hailing from the different races of Hyrule would all band together to seal him away and avert crisis. Um, that was the precedent that had been set beforehand, so King Rome took on the task of uncovering those divine beasts that would be piloted by said champions of each respective race. Um, so Zelda had built a relationship with those individuals as well, um, and all of that was going to go down type of thing. Um, so all the setup was there. You had your champion selected, you had Link who was already wielding the Master Sword. He was basically a prodigy um, at fighting type of thing. Like he, Link with a sword at age seven was already better than most of the soldiers um, in, you know, King Rome's uh, forces, I suppose. Like that type of thing. So Zelda was kind of the only one who wasn't ready, but once she became slightly more comfortable around Link, she opened up about those insecurities more where she was basically saying she didn't really want this pressure. She didn't really want to, be what her destiny demanded of her, which is a tough thing to take on. Um, but the very tragic unfolding of Zelda's character arc in Breath of the Wild, and again, all of this happened before you even start the game. All these events take place a hundred years in the past. But you learn that Zelda had to travel to three springs located in different areas of Hyrule in order to pray to the goddess and in hopes of praying would get the powers needed. But nothing happened at the Spring of Power, nothing happened at the Spring of Courage, and that brought her to the Spring of Wisdom, the place she could only visit when she turned 17. And there's even a memory that shows the memory prior to her going to the Spring of Wisdom. So, like, I think it's the day before. So she's like, I'm going to be 17 tomorrow and I need to go to the Spring of Wisdom. And she's expressing her fears to Link of, or her concerns, I suppose. Like, what if I don't harness those powers? I'm a bit scared, a bit nervous for that type of thing. And then uh, you get to the event where... She's visited the Spring of Wisdom, not seen in the memory. She's walking back and is convening with the champions who want to see how she's how she's doing. Did she harness her powers? And she regretfully informs them that 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 didn't happen. So despite all of Zelda's best efforts, from a very young age as well, like she has been going through these steps until the age of 17 of trying to harness these powers and nothing worked, nothing worked, no matter what she did, no matter how hard she tried or cared, it nothing was happening. And that's when the Great Calamity hit a lot sooner than anyone was prepared for. So the champions were not at their divine beasts when the attack began, and Zelda had not yet harnessed her powers, so there was trouble on a lot of fronts. And then, um, well, unfortunately, the champions of each of the Divine Beasts fell to um, Calamity Ganon's blights. Uh, Hyrule Castle was ruined basically immediately because it was the point of origin from, like, you know, where Calamity Ganon first began his onslaught. Um, and then any adjacent areas to Hyrule Castle, such as the castle town, any surrounding villages, the quarry, the garden, um, all that stuff, uh, the park rather, the public park, all that's all the stuff that was near Hyrule Castle and in generally central Hyrule was greatly affected by Ganon's initial attack. Zelda and Link originally were en route back to the castle. Um, these are also some elements that are not explicitly explained in the captured memories, but come from the guidebook as well. And just from playing through the game, you can kind of plot the trajectory. But basically, Link and Zelda, are they end up in a forest, a very kind of obscure forest that's on the way to Hyrule Castle. Um, they go through there. Then they learn that Hyrule Castle's been completely obliterated and everyone's on the run type of thing. King Rome is implied to have passed on at that point. He was defeated in battle, um, but had been routing out people to safety, I think, as, as his last effort as a king. So Link and Zelda were originally going to go back to Hyrule Castle, but seeing as it was completely ruined, they are on their way back. And then you see this memory where Zelda is completely distraught about all that's happened and feels she is totally to blame for all of it. It's a pretty tragic scene. Um, and then uh, the thing is, is that the final memory that can be acquired is where you go to Link's quote-unquote um, uh, place where he 
passes on, even though that technically doesn't happen, Zelda saves him from that happening. Um, basically, one of the last forms of defenses for one of the more pleasant villages in Hyrule, that fort, Fort Hatena, was being attacked by several guardians that had been poisoned by Calamity Ganon's malice. Um, Zelda's powers finally activated and she saved everyone in the area by using her powers of light all the malice left the guardians they became uh they were basically deactivated link had been fighting for his life trying to save her at this point and she realizes that he is not in very good condition so with the few attendants that are left she directs them to take link to the shrine of resurrection and she will go put a seal on calamity ganon until link is fully healed and ready to take him on so um and with that link ends up in the shrine of resurrection and the great plateau so it's still it's the southern part of central hyrule she goes back to Korok Forest, where she puts the Master Sword back in the stone to heal it, because it's been quite damaged since uh, Link has been using it quite a lot. It's been worn down, and he's also not going to be the same person he was when he was put to sleep. He will need to find a way to get his own strength back. He will have lost a lot of that by the time he wakes up. It's like she knew that. And then once she returns the Master Sword to... Uh, the uh, to Korok Forest, she returns back to Hyrule Castle and then uses her powers to temporarily, very temporarily, seal Calamity Ganon away. So she mediates a majority of the wreckage, but of course, Calamity Ganon's um, impact was still very much felt by Hyrule. Hundred years later, it's a completely different era. No one knows that Zelda did all the things that she did to save people. They don't know what she went through. And at this point, most people think the monarchy just doesn't exist anymore because the hero Link and the name Zelda have just been lost to time at this point. But that's where Breath of the Wild begins, is Link, an amnesiac, now needs to rediscover his destiny, um, reunite with Zelda, and then finally defeat Calamity Ganon. Um, and the premise of Breath of the Wild was for it to just be this kind of open world game that you can have fun exploring through and do at your own pace, figure out what you want, investigate what you want. There's a lot of stuff you don't even need to do. The game demands very little from you in terms of actually completing that end goal of defeating Calamity Ganon. But um, in terms of Zelda's character arc through all of that, whether it be learning how she felt about Link and how that relationship changes over time based off of her diary that you can actually still find in her, um, her, her bedroom in Hyrule Castle, which again is completely decrepit and and her bed her bed's all dilapidated and stuff like her room is a mess but you can actually her diary's still there so you can actually learn a lot of the stuff that i was discussing just now um between that the captured memories um and then finally beating uh calamity ganon um where zelda was technically trapped inside a calamity ganon's body and in defeating him she is released from it and then officially seals him away um so knowing all those things about Zelda is that she's quite a rounded character from Breath of the Wild, but maybe not as much in the way that, at least for me, that I would have wanted, because Breath of the Wild gave us a lot to work with. This still, this iteration of Zelda is still very well developed, in my opinion. This is a Zelda who has a lot going for her, and, um, there's a lot of depth to her character. She's very well explored. You learn more about her than you do about Link, and before Tears of the Kingdom came out, I always thought Breath of the Wild was very much a legend about Zelda. Like this truly was the legend of Zelda, even though you don't you don't get to really experience anything with her character until basically the final moments of the game. And then the end of the game, you if you know you've done all the main quests, you did you did the, all the captured memories type of thing, you'll get the official ending of the game where her and Link are sitting on a hill, Hyrule is healing, um, peace is returned. The master sword has been put back in the stone in the pedestal again because heroes are not needed during peacetime link has served his purpose as the hero and basically the implication with the master sword in any zelda game is that if it's been put away if it's needed again link will just draw the sword again he'll just take it out of the stone and be ready to use it when necessary but when it's not needed it's left there that's the whole thing so um peace is returning um Zelda talks about the fact that she no longer hears the voice in the sword, and that's a reference to um, the spirit that resides within the sword, the Master Sword. We won't really get into that right now, though. 
only that her powers, she's learned how to figure things out, but there's no need for her to use her powers actively. So her and Link are going to focus on the rebuilding of Hyrule. It's, it's a new it's a new era for Hyrule as it continues to heal from the Great Calamity. But it does leave you with one little thing that something's wrong with Baruta. So uh, that's how Breath of the Wild ends, and it concludes with a smiling Zelda, basically. So I really liked the captured memories and the way that you learn about Zelda, I like that the memories are more about her than Link. So Link is still very much a viewpoint character in all of this, but they're technically his memories too, because he was present for all the things that Zelda went through. And I think it's very cool that uh, you get to learn about her the way that you do. Because previous Zelda games, they 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 can really only explore the surface level details with her. Um, she's usually always pretty learned. She knows what needs to be done. She has a um, a strong sense of justice and, you know, um, ambition taking action in the sense that if she believes something needs to be done, she will get it done. This still does a little bit different from maybe some previous iterations of the character in that she's a bit more unsure of herself. She actually shows some insecurity about fulfilling her destiny. It's not as clear cut in her case as well. There's a lot of catch-22s that come with her being this person that's inherited the goddess powers. She's not entirely sure what needs to be done because the person who would have instructed her isn't around anymore. Um, so it's a very interesting character arc because she is very alone in her journey. And that's actually a nice kind of comparison to the way that Link is quite lonely in his journey in Breath of the Wild. It's a journey that's mostly done on his own, and the relationships that you build with other side characters in Breath of the Wild is mostly just forming new relationships, because um, Link begins the game as an amnesiac, so unlike Zelda, he doesn't really remember everything. She She's currently trapped trying to keep Calamity in and sealed, but she remembers everything. And when you defeat Calamity Ganon, she asks Link if you remember me type of thing. And it's it's heartwarming if you've done the Captured Memories quest, because then you know that Link will have remembered her by that point. Um, but in his case, and in hers, they both just have very isolated experiences with how they want to save Hyrule. No one knows who they are. Um, their names have faded into memory, um, almost like they've gone, like their names got thrown into the wind and were just lost. Um, and for all their heroism and for all the stuff that they did for Hyrule and all the stuff that they are currently doing, no one's able to fully acknowledge their role and their significance in saving Hyrule. So there's of melancholy to the way that Breath of the Wild approaches its characters, and it focuses more on what's been lost. Um, so as much as it's a game about exploration, this melancholic undertone for me is still very strong when it comes to its storytelling, but as a result of all the captured memories happening in the past, you are not fully experiencing a story on your own. You have some main quests to complete, but there's no actual structured story. It's just Link wakes up, go defeat Calamity Ganon. That's technically the pipeline of Breath of the Wild. But I think I can finally get into Tears of the Kingdom now that we know all this about Zelda's character. So let's get into that. So for Tears of the Kingdom Zelda, uh, I think that uh, she, I don't know how they managed to make her character even more intriguing, interesting, all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I really, really, really like this version of Zelda. She is everything I wanted and she is a really great extension and a very consistent continuation of who we got in Breath of the Wild. So she's very she's she's a consistent character throughout. But the way that she develops in Tears of the Kingdom for me is again, it's emphasizing the fact that this is the legend of Zelda. This is about her at the end of the day. And I really, really love that. So for these spoilers, I'm walking us through the Dragon's Tears, which is the main quest that's associated with visiting all the geoglyphs and as well as some other story elements um, that are that you can find out through the game as you pursue other main quests. So uh, we begin with, uh, I want to take this back to Link very briefly because it does connect back to Zelda in a way. So at the beginning of the game, 
Um, after you have all this, so the game begins with Link and Zelda visiting a subterranean cave. They go through these underground passages. They find these mysterious murals that are depicting an event called the Imprisoning War. You don't know much about it, and the murals aren't telling you quite a lot at this point. But Zelda tell, uh, tells you that she's read up about the Zonai. This has something to do with the Zonai. You uh, guys are here because there is some disturbance that's happening underneath Hyrule Castle. So Link and Zelda have gone to investigate. It's a very strong opening for a video game, and it's in my opinion, was a really great contrast to the way that Breath of the Wild begins. Breath of the Wild is a very quiet game. Link steps out of a bathtub, leaves a cave, and then he sees the wilderness. It captures the the feeling and the essence of what Breath of the Wild was trying to achieve, so it works for what it did. But the way Tears of the Kingdom opens as a game is, in my opinion, a much stronger, impactful opening, and also fits very much with the tone of the game. There's just going to be a lot to do, there's going to be a lot to take on. Um, you get thrown right into the action, basically. So you go into this kind of underground area, and it's this chamber of some sort, it's quite a spacious room but you see a glowing hand atop a skeletal body, a mummy, and uh, that hand begins, it's, it continues to glow, but that glow is, is waning. Zelda approaches the hand, a stone falls out of the hand, and that is when the hand separates itself from the skeletal body that's resting atop the stone. And that's when that body awakens and begins speaking to you. And that's when you learn about Ganondorf, skeletal Ganondorf, or mummy Ganondorf, Skelly Gan as I like to call them. Um, he wakes up and he immediately unleashes a swarm of gloom, which is a new form of malice that's way worse, upon uh, Link and Zelda. So Zelda's clutching onto the stone. Link tries to ward off the gloom with the Master Sword, but it breaks. But even though the Master Sword breaks and shatters, a shard of it flies across skeletal Ganon's face and actually creates a small gash. So he actually gets a cut across his face and he manages to overwhelm the two of them zelda possibly related to the stone at this point is transported elsewhere even though she's fallen into the earth so she is falling into the earth but then she suddenly disappears in link's case he's falling into the earth but you don't quite know what happens to him that's when link gets transported to the sky and that is your first instance of experiencing what the sky looks like in tears of the kingdom and that's also when Link interacts with the spirit of Raru, whose who uh, whose hand, the hand that was originally on Skeletal Ganon's body, this is Raru's hand, and it has saved Link's hand because Link became severely infected with gloom. He was on the brink of death again, um, but Raru's hand slash arm, his I guess we'll just say hand, saved him. So uh, Link's right hand is now Raru's hand. Um, so. Raru kind of walks Link through the basic mechanics of the game, how Tears of the Kingdom differs from Breath of the Wild, you could say. Um, but uh, Raru only gets to spend some time with, uh, with Link in advising Link about what needs to be done, how he was like, oh, I'm glad we got to meet type of thing. His spirit departs. It's kind of bitter, bittersweet and more melancholic for sure. Cause you, I definitely grew attached to Raru's character from the beginning of the game. And I'm like, oh, it's sad to see him go type of thing. And then you have your story to pursue and you have to figure out what happened to Zelda. Um, Link has a fractured master sword with him. It's basically half of it is just kind of decayed. And he goes through this area known as the Temple of Time and he walks up to this pedestal, a glowing ball of light is in front of him, he puts the Master Sword in it, and then suddenly the sword is gone. This will all relate back to Zelda, I promise. So let's get into how the story stuff really emphasizes the legend is about Zelda. So, um, basically there's a series of geoglyphs that are located across Hyrule, and each geoglyph actually pre uh, presents a memory. So this quest is called the Dragon's Tears in the game. You don't know what that means at this point. Impa's the one who originally looked into it and she encourages Link to learn more about the remaining geoglyphs because basically Link and Zelda were all, um, everyone commented that they randomly disappeared after they went to go investigate under Hyrule Castle. So Link needs to go around Hyrule and explain to people that he's back, but Zelda's still missing. She is MIA. Um, so he's basically, you're basically trying to find Zelda now. Um, so the dragons, the dragon tears quest and going to these geoglyphs is meant to help you with that answer among several other quests that are meant to help you give an answer to where Zelda went. And that's when 
we get into the bulk of the story stuff with the tears. So this is the equivalent of the Captured Memories quest in Tears of the Kingdom, the Dragon's Tears. So it's a series of memories that Link can pick up on and then learn more information from. And in my in my opinion, this was done much more effectively. So with uh, um, the Dragon's Tears, the first one you learn is that Zelda was actually taken back in time. She's holding onto this stone and she appears in the presence of Raru and his wife, Sonia. And you learn that um, Raru is the first king of Hyrule. He's the founder of the of you could say the the the, the founder of the kingdom of Hyrule, and his wife Sonia is a um, a Hylian woman. So he it, it, that doesn't give you a sense that there's a lot of Zonai left, but uh, Raru's definitely around. So they take her on and explain to her that well you've. It seems that there is some connection between us, um, seeing as that they are the first king and queen ever of Hyrule, and that Zelda is the princess, so there is definitely an ancestral connection there. Um, but they decide to take her on. She'll be noted as a distant relative to some uh, so other people who ask about Zelda's relationship with Raru and Sonia. And they will both try and help her figure out a way to get back to her time period. So basically, when Zelda went into the earth and she was holding on that stone, she actually got transported back in time. This is when we learn more about the secret stones, the Zonai, um, and what Zelda's purpose is in Tears of the Kingdom. So then uh, Zelda goes on to meet Raru's older sister named Mineru, who um, possesses a stone herself. And Mineru explains that the stones uh, amplify a person's powers. So it's basically what's already within them, and it just strengthens it. Um, Mineru notes that Zonai, uh, sorry, Mineru notes that Raru has the power of light, so his stone amplifies that power. Um, and Sonia's, uh, I don't remember if, she's explain if she explains Sonia's or if you just learned this about, I think Sonia you actually learned about in a later cutscene, but it's okay. Um, or later memory rather. Um, but Sonia, uh, her ability is to uh, turn back time and stuff like that. She can control time in a sense. And what what you also learn is that Zelda has both of those powers. She has the powers of light and has the powers of time. Um, which also makes sense, considering that she she is related to Raru and Sonia, just much like she comes from a much more distant future. Um, so Meteor explains that her own power is to put her soul into other objects. So the body that she currently has is she doesn't have to rely on it, so to speak. Um, but Mineru also explains that, well, this doesn't really give us any answers to how you return to your time period, because Raru brought Zelda to meet his older sister in an effort to hopefully help Zelda get some answers about how to go back to her time period. Um, but uh, Mineru explains that there is an ancient ritual that is forbidden but could potentially help Zelda, and it would be a way to amplify her powers and send her back to her timeline, her, or rather her time period. Um, but explaining the uh, the context of the ritual and the caveat of it um, made Raru consider that, okay, maybe we should look at other options, and Zelda initially thinks the same. But despite Zelda desperately wanting to get back to her time period, especially because she needs she needs people to she needs people to know where she is, and she has no idea what's happening in current day Hyrule. So there's a lot of motivation for her to go back to her actual time period. Despite that, though, she gets quite involved in what happens in the past. Zelda becomes a part of history inadvertently, and it's actually a really cool aspect. So she learns about the different races of Hyrule as it as it, you know, was coming into the fold as this kingdom, as this newly founded kingdom, and all the different races that were united under Hyrule Kingdom, or basically united under Raru. And this is when you learn about Ganondorf, the king, or rather chief of the Gerudo, um, located in the desert. You learn that Ganondorf initially was not going to fall under Raru's uh, lead and try to unleash a monster onslaught, but Sonia, Zelda, and Raru stopped him, and that is when Ganondorf comments that brute force is not going to work, I suppose. And that's when he swears fealty to Raru and 
still giving those evil vibes, though. You learn that Ganondorf thinks that the Zonai, because there's a very important context of the Zonai, the Zonai are said to have the power of gods, or that they descended from gods. So the Zonai themselves are like demigods that have powers and can become gods if they wanted to. They could do amazing things with that power. And Ganondorf believes that Raru um, and maybe Mineru to an extent are completely squandering it because you have the power of the gods. Why don't you use it to its full extent? Um, and the fact that they aren't is basically really annoying Ganondorf. And the one defining thing about his character across of the across the many Zelda games he's appeared in is that he's ambitious and thinks that if you have something that can make you stronger, you should do everything in your power to become the strongest. He is a power-hungry guy, and he thinks that if you have the power to do something, then you do it. But of course, for him, all of this stems from an evil ambition. So when he wants that power amplified, he's going to do bad things with it. Zelda warns that because of the familiarity of his name, which is clearly referencing her knowledge of Calamity Ganon, she has a bad feeling about Ganondorf. Raru catches on as well and says, I know that he's bad news, but I prefer to keep my enemies close so it gives me a chance to keep a good eye on them. Unfortunately, while Zelda is bonding with Raru and particularly Sonia, um, things are still, they're not going to go quite as well. Because uh, if things went well in the past, then what happened in Tears, what will happen in Tears of the Kingdom, wouldn't have occurred. So we already know, as people playing through this story and this game, since it began with it, that skeletal Ganondorf wakes up and announces his return, essentially, which would have to mean that he's clearly not defeated in the past. So what ends up happening is that uh, while Zelda is trying to learn more about going back to her time period, she's bonding with um, Raru and Sonia. Um, she's speaking to uh, um, Sonia, or like, sorry, I think Sonia speaking to, to Zelda just on their own. They're in this isolated plateau area, and um, that uh, Zelda turned out to be a puppet that was actually trying to uh defeat sonia but zelda and uh sonia catch on to the ruse and successfully defeat the puppet type of thing or figure out the puppet's trick but in doing so they still got blindsided by an attack from ganon ganon defeats sonia and takes her stone and because the stones are dependent on the user and not necessarily having any pre-assigned powers um, this would this meant that by Ganondorf forcefully taking Sonia's stone from her, um, he would be amplifying his own powers. And this is when you see the two memories that show the birth of the Demon King in this past of Hyrule. So this is when Ganondorf takes the stone, he awake, he creates, uh, you know, tons of monster forces across Hyrule that suddenly appear in front of people. He begins overwhelming everyone, um, and it's it's too much for the heroes to handle. So Ganondorf, after defeating Sonia, is going full force into trying to take down um, Hyrule and then probably take down, and eventually take down Raru and stuff. So uh, Raru realizes that because he couldn't stop Ganondorf from acquiring his now passed on wife's uh, stone, he decides that he collects sages from the different races of Hyrule, um, along with him and his sister, Zelda also present, um, they would all band together to try and defeat the Demon King. So he takes them to this temple that's located in a valley, and in the hidden chambers of that temple area are several stones. A stone is given to uh, individuals from these races, and they become the sages of their races. So you have the Sage of Water from the Zora, you have the Sage of Fire from the Gorons, you have the Sage of Wind from the, Rit uh, the Rito, and then you have the Sage of Lightning for the Gerudo. And the Gerudo are particularly upset because this was their chief, and he is hurting everyone and causing all kinds of ruination. So they're taking this pretty personally. Um, and then you have uh, Mineru as the Sage of Spirit, although that's technically not explained at the time. You learn it eventually, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, and uh, Raru is the Sage of Light. And then Zelda is the Sage of Time. So um, 
everyone's collected, everyone has their stones, they have all the things that are needed to amplify their own abilities, so Rara brings everyone to try and take on the Demon King. This event is known as the Imprisoning War, where these different leaders, including Raru, Zelda, and Mineru, are trying to take down the Demon King. Unfortunately, no one succeeds in doing so, they are all easily overwhelmed by him. And the Imprisoning War is when Raru makes his sacrifice. This is all described by Mineru, who actually continues to live on to this day. So while all the other sages, they began their own um, civilizations and races and stuff. But the Zonai have a are effectively gone. There are no Zonai left, except the Zonai blood that runs in, in Highlands and stuff like that. Um, but Mineru is still alive because her being the Sage of Spirit meant that she could put her spirit into other things, even if her body were to, were to wear out. So she describes that Raru made the ultimate sacrifice of sealing the demon king Ganondorf away by depleting his own life force to make it possible. Which is why when you go in the uh, under Hyrule Castle in the beginning of the game, you see a hand atop uh, Ganondorf's body. That is what was left of Raru being a physical seal. Um, so it's quite tragic and sad because prior to this, Zelda and Raru have, an, have a one-on-one -on -one where Zelda breaks down in tears saying that even if you try and stop him now, I know you won't be able to because in the future that I come from, he re he returns, he awakens. And Raru says, well, uh, even if that's the case, I have to try because I am the king of Hyrule and it's my duty as king to protect my people. So it's very tragic because Zelda's already lost a mother figure in Urbosa in Breath of the Wild and now she loses a, a another mother figure in Sonia, who Raru was mourning just as they were having this conversation. Raru also continues on to say that he believes that Zelda was brought back for a particular purpose, for a reason. She is here um, and she needs to fulfill, like there's something she's here to do. Why did she go back in time? Why was she brought here? Why is she becoming a part of history? Um, that all needs to be answered as well. That is equally as important as getting her back to the present. So Zelda, after seeing Raru seal uh, the Demon King away, she realizes why she was brought back in time. She puts a lot of different pieces together. So she goes to each of the sages after Raru made his sacrifice to tell them to continue to build their race. The Zora will be a thriving civilization. The Gorons, Rito, and the Garuda will fall in their steps, uh, follow in their steps. And she advises each of the sages that, um, the Demon King will return. The seal is temporary. We need to be ready for when he comes back. I need you to aid a Master Swordsman named Link. He will come to you um, at the right time, and your descendant will need to be there to assist him. So basically, all the... Um, all the sages retained their stones and were protected in several temples across current day Hyrule. And it is up to their descendants to retrieve those stones, uh, uh, realize their destiny as these succeeding sages. You know, they are succeeding their predecessors. They need to take on the role of sages to aid Link in, help, in, in aiding to defeat the Demon King. So Zelda gives that advice to four of the sages, Sage of Lightning, Sage of Wind, Sage of Water, Sage of Fire. And they all agree to do that. They uh, swear they will do so when the moment comes, their descendant will help Link. So um, that's all good. So she does that. Then um, she uh, she has, uh, we learn that Mineru's spirit actually went in the Pura pad, because you see the Pura pad in these memories, but then you also know playing through the game as Link, you already have the Pura pad in your possession. So when you when the Pura pad was returned to you, you had no idea that Mineru's spirit was actually in it the entire time. Um, and uh, because that's what Mineru did once her body was no longer a sustainable vessel, you could say. she Her spirit departed from her original body into the Pura pad so she could be kept safely and also be there to advise Link when the time came because Mineru, unlike Raru, is still alive. So uh, it was very important for both Zelda and Mineru to be able to convey certain things to Link because you do get to interact with Raru's spirit, sure, but he is not able to get to all this critical information, all these details about what happened in the past. So that's what happens to Mineru, um, and the Pura Pad is eventually returned to Link, I suppose. Uh, I actually kind of forget how that happens, but I know it does. And then the coolest part of this story, it hits its climax 
with this. And I remember just finding this because I was predicting some of the things that happened, but I was definitely taken by surprise when certain things occurred and particularly the way that this played out um, because uh, I had discovered the the story or kind of the ending of, of the memories by accident. And then I kind of came back and learned all these things. So the thing is, is that if we go back to the beginning of the game of Tears of the Kingdom, Link put his master sword in a glowing ball of light and then the sword was just gone. And you have no idea where that sword went. But the thing is that you were at the Temple of Time located in the sky when that happened. It is important to think about the fact that I didn't realize this at first when I started playing the game, but all the stuff that was that's in the sky used to be on the surface so the temple of time that's in the sky used to be on the ground so then you see a memory of zelda realizing what needs to be done uh, kind of thing and she's at the temple of time in this past located on the surface so Zelda basically runs through all the different interactions she had with people about realizing her destiny and what needs to be done. And this is when I want to explain that ancient forbidden ritual that she was told about, but was highly advised against conducting because of the extreme side effects. So because the Zonai, um, with their uh, with their secret stones and stuff, because they had powers that were derivative of gods, it was likened to that of the dragons. And um, with that being the case, this ritual was a draconification ritual, where essentially, if someone swallowed their, sec their secret stone, their powers would be extremely amplified, they would become dragons, and they would basically be the next best thing to a god. But the problem with that, and this is what Mineru advised Zelda against, is that if she were to become a dragon, she would lose herself in the process. She would lose her humanity and there would be no going back. So with that being the case, um, Zelda was again, like I said, highly advised against doing this and at the time did not initially consider it to be an option. But Zelda decided that having advised the sages to do what they needed to do and knowing of Roru's sacrifice and also knowing what happens in the present. She was there when, Zel when, uh, when Ganondorf woke up, Zelda was there. So knowing all the things that she knows and having the powers that she has, which again, she was told that basically she's the only person that can make it happen. If she wants to go back to her to the present, she actually needs to be the one to do that. No one can do that for her. It has to come from her because she also she has the powers of light and time. And with the ability of time, she is the person that's the best vehicle for getting herself back to the present. So Zelda decides she will become a dragon. And this is another thing that you learn if you pursue getting the Master Sword sooner rather than later, which is that you need to resolve what happens in Korok Forest, because that was originally where the Master Sword was kept, right? Every time the Master Sword needed to be kind of healed up or put away and not be used was in the pedestal located in Korok Forest. With that place being um, affected by the Demon King, um, Link needs to go resolve what happens in Korok Forest, which is saving the Great Deku Tree. The Great Deku Tree will tell Link about stuff that has happened, or it'll it'll actually show you the memory where Link takes the sword out of the stone when Zelda and Link are discussing, like, they have some work to do. Um, but the Great Deku Tree tells Link that the sword is currently traveling right now. So let's go back to Zelda now. Zelda with the Master Sword, because that's the thing. At the time that Link went to put that, to put the Master Sword in that glowing ball of light, Zelda was there in the past. So technically they were both face to face and had no clue. And I'm like, that is crazy. That is insane. So basically when Link put it in that glowing ball of light, he was giving the sword to Zelda and he did not know he was doing that. So Zelda with this decayed sword in her hand, she had been told by the Great Deku Tree, cause she remembers this too. She was there when the Great Deku Tree told Link and Zelda this. The sword, the master sword is a, it's a sacred sword. It's a, it's a weapon that defeats darkness. Um, it's the bane of evil type of thing, right? Um, if the sword is given time to heal and is basked in sacred power, then it will always find a way to recover. He's kind of saying that the Master Sword can always be healed as long as there's enough light to go around. And Zelda has that in spades, but it's a matter of harnessing that and having enough of it to 
get it back to its original form. So a very important memory that you see with her bonding with Sonia is Sonia explaining the way in which Zelda has to utilize her powers of light and time. So in terms of using time, Sonia advised Zelda that she needs to remember what the object used to be like. You need to remind this, the Master Sword, basically, what it used to be like, because currently it's decayed. So it's kind of like an anthropomorphic transposing of the sword in that it's almost like a living entity and you have to bring it back to what it used to be like rather than it just being purely an object and i thought that was a really interesting take but basically zelda took that advice from sonia and decides to uh absorb that information on the sword so um, the thing is that Zelda actually pursues the dracon uh, draconification ritual. So Mineru has one last conversation with her before getting put in the Purapad, which is that you can't do it, you'll lose your humanity. And Zelda's like, I know the risks, but it needs to be done. Because essentially, if Zelda were to become a dragon, heal up the Master Sword with her powers of light, she would be powerful enough to go back to the present, because being a dragon is like the epitome of power for the Zonai. Um, it's the epitome of power in the context of using a secret stone. Um, and, but it's because of losing your humanity, it just does not feel like it's a good decision. Um, so uh, with that being the case, Zelda's resolve is firm and Mineru doesn't stop her and just, and is like, you know what, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do to help you. So basically, if we, if we are, uh, yeah, so that scene where Zelda becomes a dragon is absolutely insane. So she holds a sword to her chest, she becomes a dragon, um, and she goes back to the present. So the really interesting thing about Tears of the Kingdom is that after Link and Zelda got caught up in the upheaval, that initial inciting incident that led to the opening of chasms, that led to the appearance of Zonai structures floating in the sky, um, it led to all kinds of things. It led to all kinds of different regional phenomena occurring in different parts of Hyrule. All that stuff. The upheaval is like the point of origin for all of that. But for the characters of Link and Zelda, that is when they get separated and that's when Zelda gets put back in time and that's when Link is given new powers and tasks to do, basically. But if we're in the present now and you've saved Korok Forest, then the Master Sword is back in the present and it's healed and it's with zelda and zelda is a dragon so what you need to do is you need to find that dragon it, it's actually marked on the map thank thankfully because that would be such a pain to find um you have to find her get the sword from her and then you'll recover the last uh, memory of tears of the kingdom where it's Zelda explaining her resolve and that she's healing the Master Sword type of thing. You do get the sense that Zelda still has her humanity, but like Mineru said, there's no turning back. So my thing is how do we undragon um, Zelda? I'm like, I want her back. I, Knowing all this stuff about Zelda, I'm like, it'll be so great once she actually comes back properly. So there, in my opinion, there has to be a way for Zelda to come back as a human because if she stays a dragon, I'm just gonna be sad. I'm just gonna be so sad. Um, because I don't have that answer yet. But what I do know is that in Tears of the Kingdom, Basically, there's been random sightings of Zelda all throughout Hyrule, but she's mostly linked to problems rather than her solving them. And people actually know that about Zelda at this point. A certain amount of time has passed since the events of Breath of the Wild, so people actually know who Link and Zelda are again. Um, there's a new generation of people that have grown up hearing those names, and that's really nice to know. But at the same time, it's like people are like, they might doubt whether or not, okay, did Zelda actually do this? Did she not? Most people are believing her to be directly tied to it. And that's not false, but it's also not true that she's the one doing it. If we remember to Ganondorf's puppet trick back in the past, he's doing the same thing in the present. So basically he's using a Zelda puppet and is causing all kinds, he's basically unleashing all different kinds of monsters to create terror in, in different areas of Hyrule and is linking her to those problems. So it'll basically seem like we can't really do anything about it or that maybe Zelda had something to do with it, but it's very hard for us to investigate because we're just trying to keep track of our people and we're trying to save everyone like that kind of stuff and it's just like it's crazy because then you know how nefarious that ganondorf is right now even if he's not you know at the same power level that he was in the past it's actually crazy because at this stage with all these memories collected with all this knowledge that you get um 
and recovering the Master Sword and all that stuff, with all of this at your disposal, you now know that all these random sightings of Zelda are completely untrue, and it's just a puppet walking around in the guise of Zelda. Um, so the other interesting detail is the fact that Ganondorf's puppet looks like the Zelda that's dressed up in the past. So basically when Zelda arrives in the past, she's still wearing the outfit that she wore when she first adventured underneath Hyrule Castle. But Sonia and Raru give her a change of outfit so that she, that way she looks more Zonai. And that's the form that Ganondorf continues to replicate. But that's a more, you know, archaic style of dressing. No one in the present dresses like that anymore. So these random sightings are of a Zelda that people technically wouldn't even recognize. Like everyone's like, oh, I think it was her. I'm not quite sure. And that's because that's the Ganon, that's that's the Zelda Ganondorf knows, not the not the present day people. And I thought that was also a really interesting detail because that also shows that he doesn't know what she looks like in the present. He but he knows her from the past. So and the problem is he knows her though. So it's like you gotta you gotta stop this guy. You gotta stop this guy fast. So um I find all of that that despite having, like, at the time that uh, this will be out, I will not have beaten the game. But with all of this material, I think it's pretty evident how Zelda, this this game is the legend of her. This is the legend of Zelda. This is a game that is very much concerned with Zelda's character arc, her stakes in the story, the sacrifices that she makes, and the fact that this quest of searching through the geoglyphs and recovering all these memories is called the Dragon's Tears. When Zelda came back to the present, she basically released... Uh, she basically cried. All her tears spread out throughout um, Hyrule, landed in these geoglyphs. So she retained these memories and found a way to distribute those memories across Hyrule for Link to find so she he could know what happened to her. Um, so some of, uh, after you get all the geoglyphs and recover all the memories from all the geoglyphs, you get one more memory from the dragon's tears. Because... Um, uh, you can like follow her and go to where that last location is. And I thought that was just really well done. It's really effective storytelling, um, in my opinion. And I just really liked the way that this game has approached her character and has taken on what they did really well in Breath of the Wild and expanded on it much more. Zelda is an extremely fleshed out character in Tears of the Kingdom. She has so much to offer. She has a very tragic but powerful storyline and character arc. And her motivations, they're clear, they're established, they're well placed in the story. And it it ties her very closely to Link because actually the other thing, um, as one last detail about Zelda, before I conclude, is that um, with Zelda, um, there's this, I think it's implied that her and Link are living together now, because basically, if you pursued the Terrytown quest in, um, if you pursued the Terrytown quest in uh, um, Breath of the Wild, Link can get his own home. And it's kind of implied that that used to be his home a hundred years prior, and he's basically buying it back. Um, but Nevertheless, Link gets a home again. He actually has somewhere to live in Hyrule, and that's something that's really nice and heartwarming, in my opinion. In Tears of the Kingdom, that house has changed a little bit. Its interior decorations a little bit different, but Zelda's journal is located there, and considering that there's only one bed, I'm like, Link must also be living here too. They must be living together. And since they like they've everyone knows that Link and Zelda have been doing all kinds of good in Hyrule as it's been healing, I'm like, they are probably living together. And then you also learn that as part of the building plans of this house, uh, Zelda had a secret well constructed for herself just so that way um, she would have a private place to study. And that's where her diary is located. So there's a distinction between her journal and her diary. And she even has Link's hairband located on her desk. So I just love the way that Tears of the Kingdom has really uh, you know, dove into uh, Zelda's character arc and the way that they show the kind of tragedy, the loss that she experiences, the knowledge she acquires, her the strong resolve she has. All that stuff has was done in such a way that I feel so connected to the story of Tears of the Kingdom. And that was a feeling that I was frankly missing from Breath of the Wild. So this was very refreshing in a lot of ways. And I am so happy that uh, we got this kind of Zelda um, in Tears of the Kingdom. And like I said at the beginning, this was everything I wanted and more from her character. And in terms of tying her back to previous Zelda games, previous precedents, um, the mythology, other lore stuff, uh, that will be its own can of worms that I'm going to open later.
but not today. So thanks for tuning in, folks, and I'll see you next time.